0: Welcome to Outside the Walls. My name is Casey. And I'm Mark. It is good to have you back with us. If you are new to this show, we are based out of Westside Church of Christ in Searcy, Arkansas. We'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast. And we are going through a series right now based on our preacher, Nathan Guy. He is preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And the series is called One Sermon That Changed the World. And so we'd love for you to go back and listen to our back episodes and the point of this podcast, or at least this series of this podcast, is to to flesh out those sermons on a weekly basis and uh, ask some reflective questions, give some of our takeaways, and leave you with a challenge. And so this past week, the sermon was called, When You Haven't Got a Prayer. And so if you uh, were unable to listen or watch that sermon or be there on Sunday, you can uh, go back and watch that on our Facebook page. Uh, we also have it available on our YouTube channel, and also you can go to NathanGuy.com to see the playback of that video, listen to it in a podcast form uh, through the platform that he has set up, and also download a free ebook uh, that we're using to glean some ideas from that Nathan put together called Living the Sermon on the Mount, and so you can download that free at his website. We'd also love to hear from you if you'd like to email podcast at wschurch.net. We'd love to get feedback from you on the podcast, on the sermon, different questions that you might have. Shoot us an email, and we'd love to interact with you through that means. So the objective for the podcast today is to put trust and investments in God and value simplicity. So very clear objective. And from the sermon, we want to start off by reading the initial text, which is in Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to follow along, grab your Bible, and we're kind of right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount at this point. So Matthew chapter 6, and Mark is going to read for us beginning in verse 5.
1: All right. Actually, I read that this is Somebody wrote, this is the center of the center of the center of the Sermon on the Mount. All right. All right. Very nice. So Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins.
0: Some of the most powerful verses from that section, I guess right next to the model prayer itself, the example prayer, is those conditional statements that Jesus puts right after it. Those just mm. always jump off the page to me that— there's almost a condition, not almost, there is a condition to our forgiveness. (laughs) Uh, You know, forgiveness isn't cheap and it's not free by any means. You know, we, we have an expectation to forgive others as well. All right. So let's jump right into our takeaways from the sermon. And so one of the first takeaways that I had was just the brevity of prayers. You know, it's you know, we, Nathan gave an illustration of just long prayers. And I can I'll, – I'll be the first to confess that as a child, there was that guy – who would always lead the long <laughs> prayers in the church. And you would hear like all the kids watches, you know, beep, beep, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? and you knew that they were just, they were timing the prayer. And, and so, yes, I'll be the first to confess and admit to you that as a child, I was one that would time prayers. And Jesus here is giving us a, a model prayer that is extremely short. And so there's power in prayers. And that was one of my key takeaways is, you know, prayers don't have to be long to be heard. And in fact Jesus says quite the opposite you know don't heap up empty phrases like the like the gentiles do mm-hmm. and so there's there's power in short prayers you know one of the things that was mentioned in the in the dive deeper class that we have here at Westside on Sundays, which is diving deeper into into the sermon that Sunday, and it's a great class. A lot of people have feedback on what was talked about, but you know it was talked about the the Psalter, the Psalms was the prayer book, the song book of the early church, and Psalm one seventeen, shortest you know shortest mm-hmm. chapter in the Bible, and you could say that that. Too is one of the shortest prayers in the Bible, and so it, it packs a lot of punch. But then also just the the prayer that you could say that Peter had whenever he was uh, getting ready to drown there in Matthew chapter fourteen, Lord save me. And so there's these short, you know, two three word prayers even in the scriptures that just have a lot of power. And that was that was a huge takeaway whenever whenever we we're talking about this this sermon when you haven't got a prayer, you mm. know, you don't it doesn't take a lot of words. You know, it doesn't take a lot of words to talk to God. But then it also just, one of the other key takeaways for me was just the summary of the Lord's Prayer. And I never really thought about summarizing it because it's already short, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And But I thought Nathan's summary was great, and that is, Father, come. Mm. If you could summarize the whole thing, and it, w- it would be in those two simple words, Father, come, which Which he also pointed out was similar to a a short prayer that that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, which is (laughs) Maranatha, Lord come. And so very short prayers, which packs a lot of punch, which sounds very similar to the end of the New Testament when John is writing the Revelation. They're close to the very last words of the New Testament of the Bible, come Lord Jesus. And so I thought those were great summaries of of not only the Lord's prayer, but just this, this whole topic of when you haven't got a prayer, at least you got a short prayer.
1: Yeah. And I get, one of the big things is it's not that he's condemning long prayers, right? Actually, Jesus has a very long prayer in John seventeen. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with the Lord, or the long prayers, but it's more about he's he's talking about the showiness of right. the people giving those prayers. So if you have a lot to say to God, there's nothing wrong with right. talking to him for a long time. Yeah. I Which, mean, even
0: Jesus prayed all night. Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah, yeah. So so there's nothing wrong with it, but to do it to impress men Mm -hmm. is the issue here it's where your heart is and he says to go in your room and shut your door to pray Mm -hmm. which is also interesting that he also talks about praying with other people in the same chapter is that right where I can't remember where it is now but it's this whole idea of humbling yourself being meek when you're mm-hmm. praying and let your prayers be of substance.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I mean having that having that substance and it again, it doesn't it doesn't take a lot of a lot of words. I mean, one of the things that he mentions here in this text, as far as substance goes, is you know, don't heap up empty phrases there in verse seven. You know, don't just be you know, v- vomiting at words <laughs> just to just to say, oh yeah, I had this, I had this prayer. That's that's not the point. Uh, you know, they, you know, sometimes we're we're trapped in the the thought of, well, I'm not going to be heard unless I unless I speak more, and and that's you know maybe the mentality that the Gentiles had coming in from maybe paganism, thinking that, well, you know, God's not going to hear me unless I you know continue just talking meaningless words.
1: So I think it was Ed Gallagher in his book mentioned this. And I think this is where I was trying to go before when Jesus says to to go into your room and have it done in secret. But then he recites this prayer and it starts with our father. And you see where it says, give us and forgive us mm-hmm. as we. So that's plural. So that kind of insinuates an idea of people praying together yeah. not just by themselves so yeah. so there is a community prayer but yeah it's all with what the heart yeah the which is interesting
0: is. because he talks about going into your room and shutting the door almost as if it's a private prayer but then the example prayer is has this sense of you know plurality in the sense that you know we're praying as a community of faith and so i think that kind of goes to show that even if you are, you know, praying individually, whether that's in your closet or, you know, maybe in our modern Western context in our car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, on the way to work, mm-hmm. having that having that sense of community when we pray and and being in communion with God through our prayers with others, even if they're not physically there, we're together as a community of faith, you know, in spirit, one in one in heart.
1: So now when you are Home alone with the door shut, or in your car, have you ever had those times where it's like you didn't know what to say? Yeah, absolutely. But you knew that you just needed God with you. Absolutely, Uh, I've had those times before where it's like I don't know what, but fix this, right? God, please, right, help me out. And that was mentioned in the sermon: when you don't know what to say, or when you don't have the words to say it, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. because he knows what you need even before you ask. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in other parts of the scripture talks about how the spirit translates those groanings
0: for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think Paul writes that in Romans about the spirit translating those those groans that that you don't understand. And yeah, I mean, and, and again, it kind of goes back to the power of those short prayers. Whenever you don't know what to say, maybe the simple Lord, save me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, you know, I'm sure Peter didn't know what else to say to Jesus either other than, Lord, save me. And I mean, there's those times of high anxiety or trauma mm. that, you know, a lot of words aren't necessary, but simply be with me, Lord. Yes.
1: Actually, because like I said, God knows what you need. And I like this line from Noel Whitlock that Nathan mentioned in his sermon. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It, that had really never occurred to me before. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it hadn't occurred to me either. Yeah. That was a good one, though. <laughs> and then we also, let's see. Oh, that's right. So this prayer is also mentioned in the book of Luke. In chapter 11, starting in verse 1, mm-hmm. very similar. It's clearly the same thing that they're both writing about. But Luke has that addition of the disciples asking Jesus how to pray. Mm-hmm. And then he gives this example. Uh, one of the things that Nathan mentioned in the sermon that I thought was interesting is this has to be important. Prayer has to be important. The Bible never records the disciples asking Jesus how to preach. We're asking Jesus how to sing, but those are two things that they've done uh, in Acts. They do this several times, preaching and singing, Um, but we do have recorded that Jesus teaches them how to pray. So that's how important it is because that's the one thing that Jesus teaches them specifically how to do in the gospel.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I... I, I've mentioned this on the on the podcast before, but a show that I've grown really attached to is The Chosen, and I love the depiction that they have of this interaction with the disciples and Jesus, and, you know, he's he's emphasizing the importance of prayer, and, and you know, they just ask him, you know, what, what is that supposed to look like? And, you know, they're just all sitting around just soaking it all in, you know, what it's supposed to look like, and, you know, when you don't know what to pray, uh, you know, I think one of the most powerful things is having having God's word on your heart and your mind some people might call that memorization. Others might just say, well, I've internalized it to the point I didn't conscientiously memorize the Lord's Prayer. But, you know, there's been so many times in my life where I just didn't know what to say. And this kind of helped guide some language, guided my vocabulary, gave me words when I didn't have words. And you can get the same thing from the Psalms as, you know, having those prayers on your heart that, uh, that Jesus himself prayed, that people in the Old Testament were praying through the Psalms and you know don't 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 rake yourself over the coals for not having words to pray. I mean yeah. we're we're given words in mm-hmm. those times
1: and I think that's something else that's also important to point out is this starting off with Father. Mm-hmm. this was prob this was new to them at the time, and that shows that you know it's really not important how the structure is. you don't have to worry about that so much mm-hmm. because God is your father. Yeah, and so he wants to hear from you. And if you are a parent of children, then you have a fairly good idea of what this is like. Yeah. You know, you you want to hear your child, even if they don't know exactly what they're telling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just want to hear them and talk All to right. them, have that conversation. Yeah. Uh, another you you mentioned earlier that a good summary of the prayer is Lord come mm-hmm. and. Nathan also talked about another way to summarize this is give us, forgive us, deliver us. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting,
0: yeah, kind of the three main main actions mentioned throughout the prayer there give, forgive, and deliver. and and again, it you know it is attached to that, I guess third person plural or first person plural, us, you know, give us, forgive us, deliver us. And so it's this question of, or this request rather of God doing something, not just for me individually, but, but as a community of faith.
1: I also like this. This is something that we also need to remember that prayer is not the opposite of action. It is action. Mm -hmm. Prayer is not escaping the battle. It is the front lines but there is still hand-to-hand combat to do, still work to be done, as the Spirit gives us power. Mm-hmm. So if you're praying for, or if there's a problem, maybe it's something that you can't be involved with physically to help, those prayers are still action. You are yeah. helping whoever you're praying for or whatever situation you're praying for.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And sometimes, the, you know, sadly, one of the one of the you know, latter things that we turn to is prayer, instead of one of the first things that we turn to. Mm-hmm. You know, we we try and take care of all the things that we can take care of ourselves, and then it's like, well, there's nothing else to do but pray. It's yeah. like, <laughs> that's that's the <laughs> wrong mentality. It's like the first thing we ought to be doing is praying, and so yeah, it's it's an action. It is an action, not the opposite of an action.
1: So that being said when we do that it tends to be because we've been worrying about something Mm -hmm. we may i mean there's so many things you can worry about a lot of it is money one of the things that jesus talks most about in the new testament may not be the number one thing but it's up there is money Mm -hmm. and it's never one of those things where he tells you to acquire more of it or try to get more of it and i always found it interesting that in the u.s our our money here says in god we trust yeah (laughs) But people tend to trust in that dollar more oh, than yeah. they do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. But so we start to worry about money. We start to worry about our food. Where you know what we're going to have to eat, and so we tend to hoard things. Um, we tend to put a lot of money in savings because we're worried mm. about something in the future that could happen. And so Jesus is telling us not to worry about that. If you have complete trust, then God's going to take care of you. Yeah. So that brings me into something that. Nathan mentioned in his sermon about worrying, but we kind of wanted to get a little more into it here. I want to read Matthew in chapter six, starting in verse 19 through the end of the chapter, unless you had any other comments before we
0: started that. No, you mentioned, you know, just how often money is used. And I think you're right. I want to say it was maybe through like Financial Peace University that I had heard that money is, I think it's, I think it's not only in Jesus teaching, but maybe in the Bible that it's the most addressed topic. Above any other topic, mm, okay. at least in, in Jesus' ministry, which is ironic, like that he talks more about money than any other thing. Yeah. And and what he says about money is is important. And I think that's a great transition into these verses, what comes next?
1: All right. So Matthew chapter six, verse nineteen. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp to the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Excellent.
0: So let's get into some Q and A, shall we? Let's. All right. So as we as we answer these questions, we would like you to reflect on them as well. And after we ask them, if you wanted to press pause on the podcast and kind of think about them, we would certainly encourage you to do that, just to try and engage with these as well. But the first question that we have is, why do we worry? Why do we worry, Mark? Why
1: do we worry? Well. I hate to say it. Jesus tells us not to worry, but I think we all worry. We tend to worry, and unfortunately, I think a lot of it is due to a lack of faith. Mm -hmm. And not saying that we're constantly lacking faith, but there are times maybe our faith sort of falls short, Mm -hmm. and we start to worry about things.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I would add to that too that you know I think it's it's because of a lack of faith, but we're led by fear. You know, I think one of, the, one of the greatest deceptions through the history of God's people is fear. And whenever you see them going down the wrong path, it's because they're being led by fear instead of being led by faith or being led by hope. And so certainly we start worrying whenever we're allowing fear to take the reins. Whenever we allow fear into the driver's seat, we all it's, it's very easy to become worrisome, to become anxious whenever we're driven by fear and not driven by hope. Hmm. Very good.
1: All right. Why is worry a spiritual problem? This probably extends from that previous question.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, as we as we looked last week and then also this week, as we kind of dive a little bit deeper into the prayer, these spiritual disciplines that Jesus mentions here, you know, worry is a spiritual problem because it drives us away from. God, it drives us away from His Spirit. You know, you know the the Spirit is given to us to empower us for for hope, to empower us in faith. And worry drives us away from <laughs> what the Holy Spirit was left for us to do, was given to us to do, to comfort us. And so, a worry is a spiritual problem because it takes us in the opposite direction of what God wants us to be.
1: Mm. It. Makes me, it reminds me of the parable of the sower and the seeds that got thrown in Mm -hmm. the thorns or the bushes, the thorns. And it says that the thorns choked out Mm -hmm. the seed because, and that represented people with the worries of this world that let them take over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that parable. Another question. What is the main point Jesus is getting at in these verses? So, what would you say is the main point?
1: (sighs) Who put Full trust in God. Okay. All right. I like, like that.
0: that. What very, do you think? Very simple. Put full trust in God. I would say, man, I think in my mind, he summarizes it in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom. Uh, yeah. Seek first the kingdom. Fair. Which I think those go hand in hand. Put yes. full trust in God. Yeah. Seek first the kingdom. It's a beautiful verse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Let's see. How would Jesus call oh sorry, how would Jesus call not to worry about material possessions have sounded to Jesus' original audience? And how is that different from today?
0: How is Jesus call not to worry about material possessions sounded to his original audience? You know, I think as you know, as I think about the the first century world, the first century context, it was very similar to, you know, back in the old testament times, say when, you know, King Saul, King David, King Solomon were ruling the kingdom, you know, there there wasn't a middle class as it, as we know it today. There mm-hmm. was there is the few rich and then there is the vast majority that were lower class and and poor. And so I think the the vast majority of people would have had a lot of concerns about where their next meal was going to come from. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were spending oh man, a ton of time just trying to figure out their basic life necessities like water something that we so easily take for granted i mean we've we've been talking about it West Side the last couple of weeks now there there's getting ready to be a fundraiser event walk for water mm-hmm. and you know just something that we can just go to the the sink that is you know ten feet away from us at any given point during our day flip on the faucet and and have free flowing water and yet there's people that spend hours upon hours of their day walking to get water and so I think in in the original context Jesus original audience would have maybe not necessarily thought about material possessions and worrying about those things maybe in the same way that we do in you know our middle class driven society but you know they're simply worried about what Jesus talks about beginning in verse 25 their clothes their water their food so i think that that's what it would mean to his original audience mm-hmm.
1: all right I'll I'll leave that answer to you so. Okay. <laughs> I think that was a wonderful <laughs> answer. How does our longing for more, for example, lust, riches
0: or power, contribute to our worry? Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, whenever it comes to wanting more, and this question I think is meant more for, you know, wanting more mm, not necessarily wanting more with God, but wanting more of just other things. And so I think that desire for wanting more is just, it kind of speaks to our discontentedness mm-hmm. in society and the grass is always greener kind of mentality. You know, and when it comes to, to lust, you know, we think, you know, it's, it's tempting to think, oh well you know my my marriage my relationship isn't as good as what it could be or isn't what i was expecting and so it's easy to you know look for greener pastures kind of thing it's it's certainly tempting to think oh well whenever i have this level of income or i have this much savings i'll be able to do this or once i reach this status in my career then i'll be able to do that and just constantly striving after that and not Attaining it Mm -hmm. drives us into worry. So I just had to
1: look this up. It's a quote from John D. Rockefeller. He was asked one time, you know, he he was rich. He had tons of money. Mm -hmm. He was asked, how much money is enough? And his answer was just one more dollar. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it is with everything. Yeah. <laughs> Not just money, but with everything else. It's we're always wanting more uh, and we're striving after those things. And Jesus talks specifically
0: against that. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That's a great quote. So next question. What does it mean to seek God's kingdom? We mm-hmm. mentioned this in Matthew six thirty three. Mm-hmm. Seek first the kingdom of God. What is that what does that mean? So
1: my idea of God's kingdom has changed from what I thought as a child till now. And as Christians, we're living in the kingdom or we're living out the kingdom. But that perfect kingdom of God that's still promised to us isn't here yet. There's still sin in this world. So seeking the kingdom of God, I think, would be us doing those heavenly things while here. So helping others, loving each other, all those things that we look forward to the kingdom and playing that out right now.
0: Yeah. And that's an interesting perspective because as you look back to the, the prayer, as we consider this, you know, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, I think we can all say that the kingdom as, as, as it is in heaven is not what it is here on earth. You know, I, you know, I, I can get on board with just the the interchangeability of the kingdom of God and the church, the mm-hmm. kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, and you know the, what Jesus had in mind, and throughout the Gospels, whenever he's referencing the kingdom of God and what Jesus was talking about was the church. And so it's it's not an argument that the church is not here. And so we shouldn't say this part of the prayer because the kingdom of God has been established. We're not asking for it to come because it's already here. But I, we can still say this prayer because it's, it's not as if it wasn't heaven. You yeah. know, whenever, you know, you go back to the creation story, as soon as sin entered the world, it was no longer as God intended. And so as we think about the kingdom of god coming on earth as it is in heaven that's that's what our prayer is i mean the church is made up of imperfect people mm-hmm. and and so yeah it's it's certainly this this mindset of seeking god's kingdom as as he intended it and as long as as long as we're here on earth before jesus comes back we're going to we're going to mess things up. <laughs> and so what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? I I think it means seeking that kind of eternal mindset, seeking what God intended for it to be, and always realizing that there's room for improvement because it's full of people. It's full of imperfect people. And I also think it means, you know, it's it's easy, at least for me, to get in the mindset of, the congregation that I attend. And thinking of that as the kingdom and losing sight of the broader vision of the kingdom. <laughs> you know, the the congregation that you attend is is, is a very small part of that kingdom. But it is not the kingdom. <laughs> you know, the kingdom is so much more broad than just individual congregations that are established throughout the world. But we're, we're an ingredient to the kingdom. And so whenever I think about seeking the kingdom of God first, I'm, I'm out of, I, I do my best to get out of the mindset of what is best for West Side, mm. but rather what is best for – God's church what is what is god what is god's will for his people and trying to think outside of the walls it's <laughs> the name of the podcast <laughs> thinking outside of the walls of just you know your local specific context i i want to read
1: this it's uh, philippians 3:12 it's this is from paul not that i have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect but i press on to take hold that for which christ jesus took hold of me I think that's Paul's similar idea of we live in this imperfect world, but we're still striving for it. Yeah, definitely. All right. Here's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book. The life of discipleship can only be maintained so long as nothing is allowed to come between Christ and ourselves. Mm -mm.
0: Discuss. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whenever you think about the life of the disciple – the Sermon on the Mount is a perfect, perfect message for the life of the disciple. And whenever there's so many distractions in our world that come between us and living out the Sermon on the Mount, And, and we can only fully live out that discipleship. You know, we've talked about, you know, is the Sermon on the Mount literal? Is it figurative? Is it hyperbole? And yet, you know, none of that matters as long as we're allowing distractions of the world. You know, you mentioned the parable of the sower. As long as there are distractions around us keeping us from focusing on, you know, what Jesus is saying, regardless if it's hyperbole or literal, we're still distracted from from the life of the disciple. And so it can only be lived out whenever our full focus is on Jesus, whenever we're seeking first the kingdom of God. What do you think? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I
1: I guess the big thing when I think about this is that you have to be very intentional about it. Yeah. And we're definitely having to check our motives mm. constantly on everything that we do. And I guess that can be a little intimidating. Yeah. And I think the more you do it, the easier it gets. But we're always going to have struggles while we're here on Earth. Yeah. But I think we definitely need to be intentional about trying to keep anything from getting between us and Christ.
0: Yeah, that intentionality is something that uh, Todd Hunter mentioned in the Dive Deeper class on Sundays was intentional prayers. And he mentioned a couple of different examples of intentional prayers through scripture. But when it comes to our prayer life or any spiritual discipline, you know, being intentional about those things is is vital to to making sure that the life of the disciple is maintained and whatever you need to do to make sure that your spiritual disciplines are intentional. And it could be something as practical as setting an alarm to pray <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or saying, yeah. Alexa, remind me to pray, you know, right. whatever it takes to be intentional about, okay, I, I don't want to be distracted by the world, but I'm maybe going to use some of these tools because there are so many distractions. I'm going to use some of these tools that are out there to actually redirect my focus to God and to be intentional about my prayer time. Mm-hmm.
1: I've seen all sorts of different things that people do to try to do that they'll put sticky notes on their yeah. bathroom mirror uh-huh. or like you said create timers on their phone yeah. things like that yeah. i have i have a friend that has a sticky note on his steering wheel of his car so every time he gets in the car he's reminded that he needs to pray and be yeah. intentional yeah very so good if whatever way you is the best for you to be intentional about it yeah. do yeah. that
0: yeah all um, right so here's another point of discussion all right. all right worldly possessions tend to turn the disciple away from christ worldly possessions tend mm. to turn the disciple of wake from Christ. Discuss. So, obviously,
1: there's so many kinds of worldly possessions that we could have. We possess things. We possess money. We possess power. You know, sometimes we even think we possess people. Mm. <laughs> but those are all things that were not meant for the eternal world, just like is discussed in this, where our treasure is, our heart will be also. Yeah. The things... In this world, moth and rust will destroy. Mm,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, one thing I think I read it that verse twenty-one of chapter six: "For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." It's not where your heart is; there your treasure will be also, but where your treasure is. So, where are you putting your treasures? Yeah. Are they in eternal things, or are they in these worldly things? I guess. Uh, like we were talking about before, when you try to get things, you never have enough things. And so you tend to get distracted by getting more things. Yeah. We also live in this world, uh, here in the United States and most of the world, where people's job, there are people whose job it is to convince us that we need things that we don't need. And it's easy to get distracted by that because that's the entire purpose of what they're doing is (laughs) distracting us by those things. Right. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, worldly possessions, it's interesting because it's not that there's anything inherently wrong with worldly possessions. I mean, even Paul, whenever he writes to Timothy concerning money, uh, he says it is the root of all kinds of evil. He doesn't say that money is evil. I mean, money is, I've heard it described as amoral in other words it's not a it's it doesn't have good morals or it doesn't have bad morals. You know, money is money. It's a tool. And and so money in and of itself is not wrong. And you could say that about possessions as, as well. There's nothing inherently wrong or sinful with worldly possessions, but the statement that we're discussing is they tend to turn the disciples away from Christ. And I think that's you know whenever we allow our focus we we allow our minds to be consumed with possessions of this world, that's when they tend to turn our mind away from Christ. Not that it's wrong to have a house, to have a vehicle, to to have all the things, but whenever they consume us to the point where we're we're so distracted by those things that we don't even see Christ anymore, that's that's when they tend to turn a disciple away from Christ.
1: I like this concept of if you do have things, these possessions, what can you do to bless other people with them? Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is, you know, goes back to, uh, you know, the very first discipline that Jesus mentions in chapter six, and that is, you know, giving to the needy. Yeah, (laughs) You know, know, uh, I I think these are strategically lined up in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, again. Things are not bad because you can use those to bless other people, like Mm -hmm. you said. And it's not to, you know, be showy or so that others can can see you or to, uh, you know, even feel good about yourself. But rather it's to give glory to God so that others can, you know, see God. And and so that's the point of it. And so using those possessions, yeah, to to glorify God.
1: Mm -hmm. Another quote from Bonhoeffer, anxiety is characteristic of the Gentiles. Mm. What does he mean by this?
0: Yeah. Anxiety is characteristic of the Gentiles. I mean, you know, you, you, you look at the pagan world, which you know, in the New Testament, that's, you know, Gentiles is a very generic term for for non-followers of Christ. For in the Old Testament context, it would be for non-Jews. You know, so basically, everybody that's not <laughs> a follower of God, a believer in God, and so. Anxiety is a characteristic of these people because they don't have a focus on God, and so they're, I think, again, driven by fear instead of faith because they, they don't have a faith. They have faith in other things. They have faith in false gods, which are often tied to materialism, and so their their faith is in things of this world. And so whenever whenever your faith is not rooted in Christ, whenever your faith is not rooted in the... the the one God of Israel, then, then we're driven by fear, and which leads to anxiety, which mm-hmm. which leads to distraction.
1: I think of how blessed we are to have Christ and what He did, to where we can take all those worries and lay them at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. Living a worldly life has got to be stressful. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what are you going to do with all all those worries? That's, <laughs> you're stuck with those worries your whole life, but right. Jesus tells us to give them to Him. Yeah, and what a relief, you know. What a, you just take a deep breath yeah. and feel so much more comforted that you don't have to worry about those things. Yes, absolutely. So we've got some challenges for this week. Quite a few, ten actually. Oh yeah, we'll <laughs> and rapid fire through them here. I think this this comes from Randy Harris's book. At the end of the chapter on worry, he lists these ten things. So here are our challenges. Number one. Buy things for their usefulness, not their status. Reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. Develop a habit of giving things away. Refuse to be propagandized. I knew I was going to have a hard time saying that. (laughs) Propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgetry. <laughs> That's a lot of big words. That's a mouthful. <laughs> let me read that again. <laughs> Refuse to be propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgetry. And I think he mentions- Yeah, I was about okay. to say, let me put that in simple terms, your <laughs> yeah. iPhone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Getting the latest iPhone. <laughs> Learn to enjoy things without owning them. Develop a deeper appreciation for the creation Look with a healthy skepticism at all buy now, pay later schemes. Mm. Obey Jesus' instruction about plain, honest speech. Reject anything that breeds the oppression of others. Mm. Shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God.
0: Mm. Very good. Very good. So those are your challenges. Pause it here. Rewind it 30 seconds or a minute or so. Go back and listen to them again. And that's your challenge for this week is to put into practice. Maybe just pick out one of those this week and focus on it. And if
1: you're really trying, maybe two.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So next week, the sermon is entitled Judgy McJudgerson. (laughs) So we're getting into the final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount and those first few verses of chapter 7. And so if you want to get a little peek into what Judgy McJudgerson is is getting into. Go read the first few verses of chapter seven and and you'll you'll know what Nathan is going to be talking about this coming Sunday. So we appreciate you being with us today. Again, we encourage you to email us podcast at WS church Dot net. We'd love to hear any feedback that you have, any questions that you have, and we'd love to interact with you through those means. But we mentioned a couple of resources that we'll put in the comments of the podcast, a few books, one by Bonhoeffer, one by Ed Gallagher, and Randy Harris. Those books are Living Jesus, The Sermon on the Mount, and The Cost of Discipleship, and then also the free PDF that we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Living the Sermon on the Mount, that you can find at nathanguy.com. And so you can go go there and download that PDF, and any of these books you can find at your favorite book retailer (laughs) if you would like to dive a little bit more into The Sermon on the Mount. We're thankful for you joining us today. And again, if you're not yet, subscribe so that you're notified every time we drop a new episode and we look forward to being back with you next week.
1: Thank you guys. Love you guys. We love you.